If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. She's a woman of the cloth, I think yeah. is, the, is yes. the term. You said person of faith. Well, same thing. You love women of the cloth. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Man of the year. Man of the year. Man of the year. Welcome to the number one friendship podcast in the country. I'm Aaron Cairo. I'm Matt Ritter. Make sure to go to manoftheyearpodcast.com to get our merch and go to youtube.com slash podcast to watch our episodes. Matt, we have a guest today who is an actual friendship expert, Shasta Nelson. And when I say actual... What are you trying to say? <laughs> I don't like the... It sounds like a slur towards... Us. Us. Yes. Well, we call ourselves friendship experts. And? She's, been, she's the OG. What'd you call her? The go- I, I called her the godmother the of godmother. friendship. Yeah. Yeah. She's been thinking about friendship since before we were friends. Since the aughts. Since the aughts. Do you, yeah. do you use the since term? Since we were acquaintances. Do you use the term aughts? I never do. Really? No, I call them the 2000s. Uh, Theo, what do you call 2000s? He's, he wasn't even born yet. He <laughs> you were four. Yeah. You Fuck. Yeah, I just call those period pieces. Oh, shut the <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> that was good. That was, that was good. good. I, don't, I don't like when Theo takes a good jab at yeah, us. No, I do. I do. I respect yeah. it. You don't really don't call them the aughts? I never say that. I say it all the time. I wow. I want to know for our audience, do you guys say aughts or the 2000s? Yeah. You know, you know, what, the, uh, you know what kids like uh, Theo call the, the 90s? The late 1900s. No. Yeah. Facts. Oh my god. Facts. No cap or cap. I don't know. No that cap. Would be no oh cap on god. that. No, no cap. cap. I mean, no it's cap. true. Oh my god. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. No cap. Anyway, Shasta Nelson. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's been, written books about friendship. She's really like the vanguard. Of she the, was at the vanguard. Yes. Yes. We are standing on her shoulders. Yeah. Uh, we're we're Aristotle and she's Plato. Or Shasta Nelson walked so we could run. Yes. Yeah, let's, I mean, she's also running. She ran so we could take the baton from her in yeah. the relay yeah. and get to the finish line where all the money is. Yeah. <laughs> you really made yourself laugh on that real janky analogy. Um, but great interview. She's got incredible insights, great story. Um, so let's hear from Shasta Nelson. Shasta, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited. 
I love your name, by the way. I'm sure you get that a lot, but it's Thank just you. Like a cool name. We don't have a lot I was of supposed to be I was supposed to be Amy Michelle and my mom's pregnant friend had her baby two months before her and panicked and didn't have a name and took my name. So my mom had to come up with a new name that no one would take from me. So hence Shasta. She took Amy <laughs> and you got Shasta. Like geez. You got the exactly. better end of that. Too. By the way, that was a great episode of Seinfeld, you know, where yep. George Costanza wants to name his kid Seven. Seven. Yeah. 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 They stole. Shasta, thanks so much for coming on. I feel like you are our idol. Matt and I were just talking about this because you're a friendship expert, but you've also made it your career. Yes, uh, for a long time. I feel like I've been out there for a long time. I'm like, yay, what you guys are doing makes me so happy. Do you feel like the world is finally catching up to you? Because like friendship is massive in the past, literally ten months. I know. I know. My all my friends are like finally being like, "This is what you've been talking about forever," and I'm like, "I know." <laughs> yeah, and it's so it's so gratifying. I mean, I don't. I hate that it happened through a pandemic and through all these work from homes and just all these losses. And it's this did not create the problem. It just helped highlight it. And I think it's so crucial that we're now talking about it. So love it. I think it's funny too, because there's only so many things you can control in this world. And it's like, if you believe in something and you choose it and you work hard and you're talented, I think the world does have to come to you sometimes. And that's just what happened here. Same with us, you know, it was like, oh, we didn't do this because we thought it was a huge topic. We did it because we we're like, oh, this is the one thing we know. Yes. Right. Yes. So I'm curious, how yes. did you come upon friendship as, you know, what you're going to kind of hang your hat on? Yeah. So my background is I'm a trained pastor. So I have my master's of divinity. So I pastored in my twenties and it was in that space, but in my framework back then, that was where I saw community happen. That was where I saw support happen. That's where I saw relationships, belonging. Um, but as a pastor, it was really interesting to to start kind of reflecting on, you know, people would show up and be like, this church is full of clicks. And you're like, what does that mean? And like, they all know each other. Does that make them clicky? Or does that like, or people would be like, you know, I've been coming to this church for three weeks and nobody's asked me to, like, nobody's my friend yet. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what kind of expectations do we have on that? And I did a lot of small group training and small group gathering. I mean, it was the best training ground for like watching relationships. And what does it mean to have an expectation of belonging? What do we owe each other? How do you bond people in appropriate ways? I watch churches all over the place just think that if we're just super vulnerable, then we like suddenly have a bond. And I'm like, that is not healthy. And so it was a really great training ground. But it was from that place that I realized I, I personally cared way more about belonging and creating belonging in this world than being a part of something where I had to convince people to believe something in order to belong. So for me, stepping out of that world and being able to be like, I want to create belonging now where we don't necessarily, we may not agree on our beliefs, but can we still be community? We have this lonely world. And, you know, back then, like back in 2008, that sounds like so long ago now, um, people were so obsessed with parent-child relationships and romantic relationships. And that is just all people talked about. That is just all the books, all all the things. And I kept being like, but the research actually bears out that it's our friendships and all the other relationships that make the biggest difference. So it wasn't, I'm, I'm a big fan of all healthy relationships, but for me, it really mattered of just being like, why is nobody talking about how, how to do this, especially as an adult. But so that's just really where my passion and just kind of, you hear yourself saying, why is no one doing this? And you can only hear yourself say that for so many times before you're like, okay, well, let's start trying stuff. So yeah. Hot take, hot take. I don't even think people conceptualize friendship as a relationship. Right. That's how crazy it is. I feel like yeah, people wow. are just suddenly realizing, oh, this is a relationship too. 
And yeah. all the rules of relationship building apply yeah. to this thing called friendship, especially for men. Especially yeah, for, for sure. men. Like, I, for I don't sure. think they had any inkling that friendship was a form of relationship that requires communication and effort and thoughtfulness and yeah. all those other things. And if anything, we just feel like it should just happen. Like that's probably the biggest, like the first title of my first book is Friendships Don't Just Happen. But it's like people would feel like if I don't have good friends, it's because I haven't met the right person yet. Like I just need to like keep waiting. Like it feels like something that's going to happen to me or not. And I'm like, no, it's a relationship you develop. <laughs> like you might look back and feel like, oh, the nine of us friends, like we became really good friends and it just happened, but it didn't just happen. It, like we could look back and reverse engineer your friendship with you nine guys and actually point out the three things that did happen. And we could do that with every single relationship is being able to say what even felt automatic at the time was never automatic. So like going to school and seeing each other every day may have been automatic, but that's what created that consistency. And as an adult, if you don't have that, if you're not going to school every single day, or you're not making friends at work, you have to create that consistency, but it didn't just happen. You know, it's like, there are ingredients that we can look at. So, um, yeah, I think it's really powerful for, I mean, I know you guys talk about this all the time, but we are living in a really lonely world. Like over 60% of us feel lonely on a regular basis. And so to keep doing the same things we're doing is not going to work. We're going to have to like, at some point be like, okay, what can I do differently? Um, uh, Matt, I hope you'll forgive me if this derails the interview, but I have to ask you about this Masters of Divinity and <laughs> being a pastor because Do we it. just had um, Rabbi Steve Leader, Leader on our oh, pod. Great. Um, he's amazing. The rabbi said he has no friends. He's like, I'm a symbolic uh, exemplar in the community and it's I can't have friends because I'm like sort of in a different plane of existence. So people in the clergy are one of the loneliest professions. So I track different professions and that is one of the loneliest professions. I do not think that's serving us. I have a very, a lot to say about that and probably not necessarily your audience, but um, I would say we have to do that differently. We have to start breaking down that pedestal and showing up and saying pastors, just as much as everyone else, maybe more need intimate, meaningful relationships. So how do we do that? Is it a little messier? Maybe, but that's okay. We can do messy. We can sit there and have the conversations about expectations and how can I still stand up and do this for you in this role? But in this role, we're like, I need you as a friend. And so I'm, a, so I, I was trained in a way where you keep the distance. And I do think that's how most of us do it. Um, I've also had the privilege of studying what I've studied and then still showing up in as a coach. I, I can be a coach with somebody that I'm friends with and I have different hats that I wear in those times and one can actually feed the other and enhance the other. So I'm a big fan fan of practicing new ways of building intimate relationships. Matt, I was wondering if me and you should try to guess what the other loneliest professions are. <laughs> uh, in order, uh, so, okay, so if, 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 if religious figures are one, um, I would say um, lawyers are pretty long. Yes. So I was, I was, I was going to say doctors. Because I'm a former lawyer. I know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. That's a very lonely profession. Um, uh, maybe therapists. Yes. I'm going outside the box. On wow, that. Matt, you're yes. crushing it. Yes, you are crushing it. Very good. Very good. Mm. Yeah. And then here's a surprising one. 
a lot of people who are involved in customer service, support roles, mm. or sales professions, they are talking to people all day long. They're interacting and they're like peopled out. And yet, uh, and they're also they getting necessarily... treated like shit half the time. So, <laughs> yes. so, seriously, but a lot of people are like in big caretaking roles and um, kind of just doing all the things for everybody else. And at the end of the day, don't have the energy to go out and do things uh, to build the relationships for themselves. So that one surprises people because when we often think of lonely, we have a stigma that it's somebody who doesn't have good people skills or somebody who doesn't have any friends or, and actually I'm discovering that the profile of the loneliest people today are people who everybody likes. They have great relationships. They have friends. They could name a ton of friends, but they're just not going deep enough with those people. And they're not making the time. They're like exhausted and peopled out and yet still lonely. I wanted to go back to what you said about, you know, when you were a minister and people expecting to make friends automatically in this community just by being in a place. So funny you said that. I went, I joined, I joined my temple recently and I have a five month old baby and I went to this service that was specifically young parents with babies and, and a bunch of people said the same thing to me like, oh, you must have made so many friends there. I'm like, pump the brakes. I just said I spent an hour, first time I've ever been there. That's a crazy expectation. I'm a super social guy. I host a friendship podcast, but what you're saying is insane. Like, let's just, like, just, that just now makes me feel like I've somehow failed on a mission, but I don't (laughs) think that we should be framing it that way, right? And again, we always talk about, like, you shouldn't go out with the idea that you're trying to make a friend in an exchange, in a moment, at a place. It's a slow build. I mean, what what are your thoughts on, like, how do you even make a friend? Yeah, it's such a great question. And yeah, absolutely. We can feel a click instantly or like, you know, an interest in somebody or kind of like some curiosity, but that is not a friendship. And so, yeah, for me, I'm really big on, you know, reporters will ask me all the time, like how it's low, the world is lonely. How do they go make friends? And I'm just like, people don't have a hard time meeting people. Like we know where to go to meet people. The hard thing is figuring out how to meet those people in a way that develops a friendship. Like that's the hard part. Um, so what I've done with my work is I've taken all the social science that's out there and looked at like what makes for a healthy team? What makes you feel closer? Why do you call Aaron your best friend and not some other guy you met? How, why, like, why do we, uh, what bonds us to each other? What makes us trust each other? So when you look at all those different studies, they're of course all using different words and studying different things. And several years ago, I sat down and just piled them all down. I was like, what are we talking about here? And there's three things that every single one has in common and we can use different words for them. But every single other thing that I've ever come across in relationship is either an example of one of these three things, an outcome of these three things, or a synonym for one of these three things. But those three things that we can judge the health of a relationship by that's present in every healthy relationship is positive emotions, consistent time, and vulnerable sharing. And so we, I just positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. And so when we look at those three things, we know that if you want to make a friend, you have to put those three things into place. Normally, that needs to be a little bit of positivity. And I, I, I speak of this as on a triangle, so I can barely talk without uh, referencing them as a with my hands. Sorry about that. But uh, at the base of the triangle is positivity. And so you might be drawn to a few people more than others in that group. You might enjoy having had a five-minute conversation with this person. You might like 
the essence of this person. You might feel like whatever. There's things that kind of draw us in. Um, so we're going to want to feel a little bit of that. But then really the whole friendship will only happen if you put a foundation of starting to put some consistency and some getting to know each other, that vulnerability piece up on that triangle. And so that consistency piece is the hardest piece in our culture today. Um, this is the one I referred to earlier that made friendship feel easier when we were kids because the consistency was automatic. Um, this is where a, re a religious organization or a work could help us because if we're being consistent in those places, we are seeing the same people on a regular basis and that can help us. Um, so, but in your situation, you have two choices in that setting. You either have to say, I'm going to keep coming to this thing and seeing the same people long enough for a long enough period of time that we start feeling familiar to each other. And during that time, enjoy each other, that positivity and get to know each other, that vulnerability. Or the only other option is I will have to figure out a way to be consistent with this person on my own and follow up afterwards. Like I'll have to figure out how to get together for a family get together or a play date or whatever the case may be. So that's the piece that makes it the hardest. Um, I like that, say, by the way. I like that good. taking outside of the thing. Yeah. I mean, you know? and I think that's what most of us are facing. Like most of us meet amazing people all the time, you know, but there's, it's not because we couldn't be friends that we don't become friends. It's because we don't see them again is <laughs> that we don't see them. And this is where like dating, I mean, you're getting me all excited here. I mean, like dating, we give the gift of momentum. Like we understand that if you had a great date romantically, you would say that was a great date. You wouldn't be like, we should do that again in six months, you know, or like we should get together again sometime. Like you would find the next available time to get together. Like you understand in dating we need to take time to get to know each other. We need to see each other a lot. We need to like do that. But in our friendships, we often meet somebody that we kind of think is cool. And then we're like, see you around or we should get together sometime. And then like, we should do lunch again next month. And it's like, we just spread these things out and we never give momentum. We never give time. Um, and I'll just end with this. There's a study out of University of Kansas. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Hall, he did a study that showed that it takes yeah. um, zero. Have you guys covered this? So like yeah. 40 to 60 hours to become friends with somebody um, and 200 hours to become best friends with somebody. And I'm not really big on the exact hours, but the concept is really important. And I'll just say, I think the hardest part of a friendship is the first 12 hours. <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's like once you guys have your pattern down, you have your pattern and you can keep doing the thing. It's meeting somebody in the first hour and then figuring out how do I spend the second, third, fourth, fifth hour with this person? That's the hardest part of a friendship. That, in my opinion, is where most friendships don't happen is simply because we don't get that consistency under our belt. We don't develop the pattern. Mm. So it's interesting you say that because Aaron and I came up with a, a sort of catchphrase. We say instead of we should, we are. When mm. you're at the end of the first meeting, if you like it and you feel like we want to get together Love again, it. like what you're talking about, you pull out the phone and you say, hey, I'm doing this thing. And we say, be the friend. For me, it's always usually sports related. I say, hey, I've got tickets to Lakers. I've got an extra Perfect. ticket. We're going to go. Are you free on this specific date? Yeah. Get it in the calendar right there. And then yes. that gets you closer to that 12 hour. I like the 12 hour. I totally. hadn't heard that one before. That's totally. that's really fascinating. But I wanted to also, I love everything you're saying. And I think our audience is going to love it. I just want to keep going with like these, what other thoughts you have on tips to break through to the, to the starting with, hey, I like this person and now we're friends. 
Yeah. I mean, so it requires you recognizing that role of consistency. So your brain has to just always realize I either have to join something or participate in something that builds that consistency for me for a while. And or and I would say even that at some point, if you want this friendship to outlast that area of working together or having your kids go to the same school or being in the same synagogue or church, at some point, you're always going to have to opt for the second one, which is we need to figure out our own pattern of consistency, which means one of us is going to have to be an inviter, an initiator. We're going to have to block this off. But that for anybody who's lonely out there, it's usually from um, not figuring out how to do this consistency piece. And we have all kinds of insecurities that show up around it. Um, and, you know, the bummer is it's kind of I always equate it like going to the gym. If you just do it once a month, you're not going to really see that many meaningful results. And so it's easy to walk away from that lunch and be like, yeah, it was OK. I mean, it wasn't that great. But, you know, and so it's less likely that you're going to want to keep doing it. But as you know, with relationships where you see them more regularly, if you were getting together with that person for lunch every week or would talk to them on the phone all the time, then you actually start relying on that person and you're getting the payoff. And so it's like the gym. If you're going all the time, you're going to start getting encouraged because you see your muscles changing, you see your body changing. But so many people like go once and they're just like, I don't know, it didn't really work. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean it didn't work? Like you have to go many times before it works. And I uh, so I think it's just we expect it to feel so easy, so effortless, so instant. And I equate, I just did a TEDx talk uh, a couple weeks ago. It should come out soon, but I equated why we need to learn about our social health from our physical health, because there's so many parallels. We understand in your physical health, you can't just eat a carrot once and be like, I'm healthy. <laughs> you know, like you have to have a commitment to ongoing healthy nutrition. And the same is true for our social health. You really have to commit to it. So that consistency piece, I would love to hear you guys talk about some of your friendships and where you like, here's the cool thing. Once you know the three things, you can look back on any relationship that you have that's meaningful and see with that friend, oh, we have this pattern where we do this dinner every November, or we talk on the phone every day, or we, we get together for a sports game every single, you know, whatever. And you can start seeing the pattern. Uh, and other friends you can look at and say, we drifted apart. And it's often only because one of us moved and our pattern got broken, or we no longer work at the same place. And so we never figured out how to be consistent when we weren't paid to work together. Like, so it's usually that consistency piece that either ends or supports a relationship. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place, and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, it's interesting because in the vulnerable sharing point of the triangle, mm -hmm. that, that's Matt's, that's something Matt has really made leaps and bounds with in the past few years where he wasn't always very vulnerable. Vulnerable, you know, we are trying to get guys to tell their buddies that they love them. Yes. And some guys, Matt included, are not always that open to that. So we, we started saying, uh, start with thank you. 
thanks for the tickets. Thanks for the beers. We say thanks as a gateway emotion. Um, and now I can't get Matt to stop sharing. He's weeping <laughs> and he's crying and he's hugging and he's I loving. I love it. Um, it's, it's nice. It's great. It feels good. It feels good. Yeah, yeah it's funny. It's the thing. It feels we, good. When we first started the podcast, like very beginning, we're talking about this stuff. And then our producer, producer Theo, he was... He was leaving and I, and I was like, all right, but I'll see you later. Love you. And I go, what? Why did I just tell him that? It was like when you tell your teacher, call your teacher mommy. I got too vulnerable. <laughs> no, I love, 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 Aaron, that you're bringing this up. So I do a lot of corporate keynote speaking now. And so often my audiences are mostly men. And uh, I always, almost every single keynote, if there's point in my talk where I go, okay, just pause. I need to stand on my soapbox for a minute and talk to any of the men in the room. Hmm. And this is what I say. I say, men, I am... We owe you so many apologies for how we have not encouraged, modeled, inspired, told you it's normal to have healthy, meaningful, deep relationships. And it is costing you. You are dying younger than women. I think they are correlated. It's costing you in really big physical, emotional, and mental health ways. And this is one of the reasons why I think... um, I'm a lot of a lot of part of a lot of women's conversations and women are always complaining about how men remarry after death and divorce faster than women do or they get back into another romantic relationship. And I think this is why we have told you it's only normal to be vulnerable with another with basically with another woman, but in your romantic relationships. And we have not encouraged you and told you and modeled for you that you need to be vulnerable and have intimate relationships that are platonic with other men. And so so many men are have to get into another romantic relationship just in order to have that vulnerability and that intimacy. And so this is a really, I love that you guys are talking about this. I love that you're modeling it. I love that you're practicing it because, uh, you know, we can go back. You Have you guys had Nairobi Wade on your show yet? No, she does, we should. You she does the boys. list of all the other uh, experts. Yes. Yeah. So she does research around boys and their friendship. Um, so and seeing how it's the same as girls up to a certain age. And then when it's not cool to be like a girl, suddenly we start, the guys start mm. joking around instead of saying, I love him. He's my buddy. But you guys are saying that at the same rate we are as little kids. Uh, it's only we say it every hits. podcast. That's how we end our pod. We say I love so you. So it's not a it's not a male female thing. It's a how we've socialized you, and it's killing you. It's costing you, and it's time to do it differently. So yeah, what you're talking about that vulnerability piece, Aaron. When we look at the triangle, um, that is for sure the area that men that like otherwise you have positivity and consistency, which is let's get together and have a good time and do it regularly. Uh, that's a social group, but when Without that third piece of vulnerability, it's not going to be a meaningful, supportive relationship that I feel like this person knows me and is there for me. You know, it's, it's funny. We were talking about, you're talking about social health. We, we, we call it social, social fitness on our pod. Awesome. And I have always believed that, you know, men are very achievement oriented and they, this sort of gender norm was, hey, we would be happy, content because we're told all you need to do is get married, get a good job, get a house, and you have achieved this thing that people told you would equate to happiness and contentment. And I, I think men are now realizing that that definition of contentment never included healthy friendships. And women always knew, I think, on some level innately, or maybe they were taught it, but men were definitely not taught it. And now we're kind of waking up to this idea. You know, we always say it's never too late. I think I wanted to sort of address that a little bit. You know, what are your thoughts on kind of to... Older people that, you know, maybe they don't have as many sort of activities 
Yeah. You know, like my dad, his friends passed away and it was hard for him because he wasn't that mobile. What do you, what do you say to people that are maybe not as mobile, but still, you know, like in that older demo that still want to make friends? Absolutely. And here's the encouraging news. And I bet this study, I bet this study has changed in the sense in the last couple of years, but it used to be that we replaced half our close friends every seven years. So you think about who you're confiding in and, and interacting with the most, like who you would have as your bridesmaids and groomsmen up there. Like who are the people that are in my life? And chances are high. If you look back seven years ago, two or three of those people have changed and moved and moved. And so what encouraging thing, I think that's actually being accelerated now. Um, but what's encouraging about that statistics, statistics, is it reminds us that all through our life, uh, we have to be getting good at making new friends. And so it isn't a matter. It's, it's, it's not a helpful story to say that you make all your childhood friends. And then that's like, that serves you the rest of your life. So your dad is not alone in this. Like the fact is every time we go through life stage, we change jobs, we move, we have babies, the kids move out, we're emptiness. Now we retire we move close to the kids, the grandkids. And like all throughout our entire lives, everybody, every five to seven years is having to look around and take an inventory of their relationships and say, okay, I need to focus on my friendship. So it's like, take all the shame away from anybody who's feeling like, man, I should have had this figured out, or I should have done this when I was younger. It is never too late. It's always in our best interest at any age to say, I'm going to invest in this. And we've got to figure out how to do those three things. And so if mobility affects our sense of how we used to do consistency, we have to have a conversation and say, where can I be consistent now, given my limitations or my life circumstances? uh, And how, what does that look like? And what can I do? But we've got to figure out how to put those three things in place, no matter who we are. And so having those conversations about, um, do I invite people over here? Do I, can I get some to a certain place where I'm joining something regularly and I'm showing up for something or like, where are the places where I have still access and mobility to, but we have to start kind of reverse engineer this and say, okay, I know I have to be consistent with some people over time to build this friendship. What, who, who do I want that to be starting with? I'm always just like, just grab a post-it pad and write down the names of like, who comes to your mind that you you would like to spend a little more time with, like start there. And like, now I've got some names of people. What can I actually do to like this friend? I only talk to once a month. What would it look like to call them every two weeks and just surprise them and <laughs> increase the frequency? Or this friend I only talk to once a year. We only get together when our guys go do this big thing. Like, what would it look like if we actually talked on the phone in between? Or if I went and visited him one-on-one in between? Or like, so now what? Now we're having a conversation of like, how can I increase the consistency? Because if you don't increase that consistency, like the vulnerability is the hardest peace for men. But if you don't have the interaction, like that consistency means we're getting together and interacting. If you don't have that interaction, you're not going to know what's going on in each other's lives. You don't even have the opportunity to be vulnerable. So you've got to lock down how you're spending time together. And then when you're together, figure out, okay, how do I, how do we make sure we share and that we're both actually talking about our lives, not just everything else? How do we make sure we're talking about our lives? And then that positivity piece, how do I make sure that they leave my presence feeling good? And that's where you're talking about the thank you for this. And I love you, buddy. And this friendship means something to me. And I'm so glad you're in my life. And like, now you've got all three covered. Um, I'm just like, I'm absorbing all this. So <laughs> this is great. I know when I talk fast, I'm like, ah, no, no, so much no. to say. Where you, people tell us we talk fast. Um, <laughs> before we let you go, like how do people, you know, how do, how do people hire you? How do people like get more of you? Like, you know, our listeners, you know, 
How do they get the Shasta experience? Yes. So I've written several books. Uh, the first one is Friendships Don't Just Happen. And, and then to be fair, the publishers marketed my first two books to women. So all the content is true for men, but I just have to give that caveat. It's uh, They didn't even think women would buy friendship books back when I was writing those books all of like five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. And they were like, men definitely won't buy those books. So um, the third book is Friendships Don't Just Happen. I mean, the third book is The Business of Friendship. And you between the three of us, it is a workplace friendship book. But my secret agenda was to write a friendship book that men could read, <laughs> that they would pick it up in the business section. So uh, if, that, if that's an easy way in for a lot of you guys, like go read that because I teach how friendships are built. I write down the research. I talk about like how these three things work together. So um, that would be a great one. And then ShastaNelson.com, you can find everything else. But I do a lot of corporate speaking and consulting with companies now. Um, so yeah, I would love to meet any of you at a conference sometime or if, you're, if your organization ever brings speakers in. I would love to meet any of you and have you come up and say, I heard you on Aaron and Matt's show. <laughs> how do we get on a corporate? We want to go corporate. We want to sell out as quickly as possible. How do we, how do we do that? <laughs> do it, do it, do it. I know when I, when I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> Cause you know, Matt, Matt is a former corporate lawyer and I used to work at Morgan Stanley. So we have a corporate background. We're That's shows. awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Well, the world needs it. And the corporations, I mean, the corporations are starting to pay attention. The research has been 20 years. Like we have solid research research for decades that when you have friends at work, you're a better employee, you're better engaged, you uh, are more likely to stay, you treat your customers better. I mean, the research is so solid. And yet, uh, unfortunately, the average organization still is not like Googling, I need to bring in a friendship trainer or speaker, which is really says a lot of unfortunate things about our world. They keep focusing on the on the things that are just being repetitive. And I'm like, oh, my word, very few people have ever had training and inspiration around relationships. So you guys would be amazing in that space. Well, this is all changing. You know, we're, we're you you are the um, godmother of friendship. <laughs> the old, uh, the old one, <laughs> the, the wise one, not old, the wise yeah. one, the oracle of of friendship. We are your disciples. Oh, right, we're your disciples. Oh. Uh, and you know, it's just it's been a real privilege to talk about what we think is you know really we know is an important issue and. We feel like we're having a moment, all of us, right? You feel it. Yeah. And, you know, we're all trying to really uh, just spread the message, right? To use the, the ministry terms, right? Or yes. Full circle. Yes. And so, so thank you so much for, uh, for joining My us. privilege. Thank you for what you guys are doing. It's so important for decades more. I've had people writing me being like, where are the men counterparts of what you do? And so, I mean, we really, really need role models and conversations. And so thank you for stepping into that space. Thank you so much. So that was great. Matt, did you ever think when we started this pod, we would be interviewing a rabbi? We interviewed Rabbi Steve Leader, now our first minister. My secret goal was to go deep. We got to get an imam. Imam, yeah. Im imam? Yeah. Well, didn't we have an episode where we talked about David Bowie's wife? Iman. <laughs> We're getting real dangerous Yeah, here. no, we, I would love that, actually. If yeah. anybody knows any... Imams yes. who want to talk about friendship and spirituality. I love that because we learned, I mean, does two people make it not just an anecdote? Now it's sort of a trend. We learned that, you know, being a person of the clergy is one of the loneliest professions. Well, she wasn't saying she was lonely when she was a profession. It was, it was the, we only have one person who said they were lonely. But she also then studied. Oh, yes, it. yes. It's the loneliest profession. Yeah. She backed it up. Yeah. She, she's With a, data. She's a woman of the cloth, I think yeah. is the... Yes. The term. You said person of faith. Well, same thing. You love women of the cloth. <laughs> I don't even know what, I don't that, even means. know what that means. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to say it. 
Uh, I mean, I do like the kind of a, you know, like a high waisted, you know, sort right. of robe. Right. It's modest. You like the modesty Wait, of the outfits. Matt, you you are, love a modest dress. Matt, you're What's going, more modest than, than clergy women? You're going to die when I show you this right now. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> you're dating somebody in a gospel choir. No, I'm, I'm, you know, flirting with this girl on Instagram. Okay. And uh, she, she, this, this is a picture she posted. It wasn't to me. It's a, po- a poster of her. Oh, like, is she, was she dressed up as one of those? What's that movie? What's that TV show where the women are like? Uh, <laughs> She's sort of wearing like a the Lord May Open. What was that show? <laughs> I don't know. You're talking about talking about fucking uh, with with the from my Mad Men. Yeah, what's it called? The uh, with you can't have kids. Thelonious. Handmaid's Tale. Hand, yeah, she looks like a handmaid. No, she's just it's a, it's a brown sort of robe, cloth oh. robe, whatever. Oh. So I wrote. Um, here, I wrote. It's giving Yoda. Did, did, did she respond? <laughs> she did like a, a crying emoji. Oh, okay. so that's good. That's good. She got the yeah, crying not emoji. the happy crying emoji. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is gonna play for our listeners, but yeah, this girl is wearing yeah, a robe, a and I wrote, I wrote, you look like Yoda. I thought that's it was good. funny. I like, I like anyway, um, other lonely professions. Your I former guess, profession. Lawyer, yeah, yeah. I just have seen so many depressed lawyers in my day. And I talked to a lot of them and it's a high stress job. Yeah. It doesn't feel as rewarding as you as, think it's going to be. As you think it's going to be. I think that's part of it, right? I think like when you go to law school or a lot of people go to law school because of what they saw in the movies or culture and it feels like it's consistently exciting. And a lot of it is just really in the weeds or really repetitive or really driving. It can be exciting, but there's just a lot of areas where it's just a lot of grind. So it really blew my mind when she said that there are lonely people with great social skills and a lot of friends, but they're still lonely. I'm still trying to compute what that means. Didn't blow my mind at all. Okay. Because I talked to my therapist about this. We have been combating for years my issue with loneliness. Okay. Have we talked about this? No. It hit me when she said that because my issue really occurs when I'm not busy. That's when it hits me. Like if I have a busy day, I never have a problem with loneliness. Mm. But if for whatever reason I have a lull in the afternoon, like two o'clock and I'm just like, you know, if there's like an hour or two and I've already worked out, I can sometimes spin. I can sometimes like spiral into this like zone of like, God, I have no friends. I'm so lonely. Like what the hell have I done with my life? And I think... That happens to a lot of people. Where's your child during this time? Pretty. This is pre-Brenner. This doesn't happen anymore. Oh, okay. okay. This hasn't happened in a while, but Got like, it. I think the last couple of years, yeah. you know, the writing writer's life is pretty solitary, yeah. you know, but even though we're social all the time, again, we talked about how, you know, when you're in college, we talked about this a bunch and you're in high school and even early on in your work, there's just a surface area of people that are around all the time. And then you have to adjust in adulthood to being with yourself a lot more. There's just a lot more solitude. And I think there are ways to cope with that or there are things you can do to fill that time, Mm. but you can't always fill all your time. And that's what my therapist and I have talked about. Like you can't just always fill your time, even though I love being busy and I'm one of those people, like I thrive on being busier. You have to also be able to not go into like a feeling of sadness or loneliness when you're alone. You have to work on feeling okay with that. And that's something that I've worked on for years. 
in in typical fashion, you're not going to be surprised that I feel like I'm I'm perfect at that. Yeah. I actually looked at my calendar. I haven't gone out the past seven Saturdays in a row. Okay. And by not go out, I mean I don't think I even left the house. Yeah. I think I'm I've I've never been happier. Interesting. Got some sleep. Yeah. You know, maybe ate some bad food. Didn't wake up hungover. Yeah. Yeah, I went out during the week and maybe on Fridays. Yeah. But I was like, wow, this has been a stretch of very little socializing. And you're okay Great. with it. But summer- you also are um, sort of in a lot of isolated routines anyway. <laughs> yeah. And that, no, you're, that, that, that you're okay with. No, I'm saying, right. but like you already have, like you're okay with your writing routine being like solitary. Like yeah. I struggle with that. I love a lull. Like that's why I go to- Coffee shop. So, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Do drink. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but cause for me and my therapist and I talked about it and she said, actually, like, it's also okay that you need to be around people a lot more than others. Yeah. And people they, just have that. Right. Like I'm, and you need to be busier. Like, it's okay that I don't like sitting on the beach and doing nothing. Right. She's like, that's okay. That that's not your ideal vacation. Then you want to go to like museum after museum. Can I tell you the first breakthrough that I had with my therapist? Yeah. It, it wasn't even really about the main stuff we were talking about. I went on this whole tangent about how people in my gym just leave the equipment out and it's driving me absolutely like spare. It's driving me nuts. Like people will use the the weights and then leave them on the ground. Like what kind of sociopath? Where's the does breakthrough? That? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? What like you that's not a breakthrough. Do you that's what do you this, mean? I haven't got there yet. Okay. I was like, wait, you got her to agree with you that people at <laughs> the gym are annoying? What? <laughs> oh, fuck. That was, that was good. Go on. Um, <laughs> she just goes, you know, some people, people are fucking assholes. Yeah. She goes, it's not personal. You're taking yeah. it very personal. Yeah. It's, these are people I don't even know. I've never seen them before. You, I, I'm like spinning out. Like, how How dare they? Like, it's not, they're not doing it against you. They're doing it. Yeah because they're miserable people or whatever. And that was the first time I was like, oh, okay, I could use that. Okay. So now when I'm in the gym, I'm like, it's not, when that, to that's Syrac, good. it's not personal, it's not personal. That's good. Now it's let's helpful. try to apply that to things that are more meaningful <laughs> than somebody leaving a barbell on the floor. <laughs> well, I think it, I think it is. But oh, I love geez. it. I, listen, I love it. I don't want to no, no, make no, no. too much light no, of no, it. No, 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 totally but, fine. But it does. <laughs> where's the breakthrough? Where's the breakthrough? It does call, call back, and we'll talk about it in another podcast, of con- I promise with control. Yes. That is a big breakthrough. Yeah. Big breakthrough. Yeah. So when anything is out of control, I'm like, I'm putting up signs. Right. So yeah. that's like how I have a problem with this solitude. Like that's one of your yeah. things. My limiting, is it a limiting belief? No, I think it's something you need to work on. It's not a limiting belief. Right. It's just something that you need to figure out how to deal with in life. Well, a limiting belief could be like, I feel like I always need to be in control and I don't. Yes, that's true. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's... You know, I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know if it's a I broke belief. I broke Matt's brain. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's a limiting belief, but I do like that you're having breakthroughs about things like that. <laughs> issues that you actually have, not like issues with a guy. That, I thought you were saying, she gets me. She totally agrees. The guy at the gym. No, she doesn't agree with anything, oh, okay. I say, okay. which is annoying. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. You don't have a yes woman. Nah, I know it's annoying. Um, well, Shasta, like she, she inspired so many great conversations and thoughts and like, she's amazing. I think we're going to be doing a lot more with her in the future and having her back on. She's California. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about, you know, for our, our fans and listeners, if this is something you'd be into, we were talking about starting to do more 
community events with other people in the friendship space and just getting together and, you know, just having fun, but also, you know, kind of like talking about some of this stuff more. Yeah. You, you, maybe you'll be our representative. No, you don't want to go. <laughs> Jero doesn't want to come to our community. <laughs> He'll be there. Guys. I'll be, He'll there. be there. I'll be there. Uh, Theo, anything we messed up today? This, this is erroneous, erroneous with Thelonious. Well, nothing to report on today. Oh, okay. Clean. Yeah, clean. Um, all right, guys, check out Shasta Nelson. She's the best. Remember, be good to yourself. Be good to your friends. Love you, buddy, buddy. <laughs>